0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President, Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Thursday edition, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing this
1: this morning. Sadly, but with confidence and humility, with allegiance to our founders, and a heart full of love for America, today I am asking our chairman to proceed with articles of impeachment.
0: Tennessee Congressman Mark Green joins us with the latest in just a moment. And is the United Nations Refugee Agency blocking Syrian Christian refugees from getting aid? Paul Diamond, a leading human rights attorney in the United Kingdom, who has filed a lawsuit on behalf of Lord George Carey, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Uh, to ensure that Christian refugees get the help they need, joins me later with the details. And is common ground being lost in America? Is the political division driving people from constructively participating in government? The divisive national debate over just about everything has convinced many that the country is heading in the wrong direction, even as their own lives are going well. Scott Rasmussen, one of the world's top public opinion pollsters, Joins us uh, a little bit later with more on that story. And also, how should Christians view and bridge this political-cultural divide? Jared Bridges, a member of FRC's senior leadership team, is going to join me for that discussion. And finally, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell speaks out on the Senate floor about the growing hostility toward religious freedom. All of that and more In uh, this edition of Washington Watch, a lot happening here in our nation's capital today. In fact, earlier today, meeting with the the new prime minister of Sudan. Uh, Maybe I'll talk more about that later, but some positive developments there. After about three decades of uh, the dictator al-Bashir being removed, a new government there promising religious freedom. For the people in Sudan. We'll talk uh, maybe more about that later. But first, uh, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing earlier today that Democrats will proceed with articles of impeachment against President Trump, declaring that the president's conduct leaves us no choice but to act. Now, this move by the Democrats will be one of the, will be the first time um, in modern history where we have a party moving to impeach a president what appears to be strictly along party lines. Joining me now to talk more about this is Congressman Mark Green. He represents the 7th District of Tennessee and serves on the Oversight and Reform Committee as well as the Homeland Security Committee. Congressman Green, welcome back to Washington Watch.
2: Thanks, Tony. Glad to be on the show. Good to hear your voice again.
0: Well, let's just start. I got another short clip I want to play of Nancy Pelosi this morning as she, you know, kind of in a dramatic fashion announced that there was the impeachment articles were going to be drawn up and they were going to proceed. Let's listen to this clip, and I'm going to get your response to it.
1: In signing the Declaration of Independence, our founders invoked a firm reliance on divine providence. Democrats, too, are prayerful. And we will proceed in a manner worthy of our oath of office to support and defend the Constitution of the United States from all enemies, foreign and domestic. So help us, God.
0: Well, it certainly sounds nice and reassuring, but uh, anything but uh, based upon the actions that uh, the Democratic uh, majority is taking in the House.
2: Yeah, it's, it's pretty insane uh, if you look at it. I mean, she accused the president basically of trying to be a king. And then, of course, everyone knows that she leveraged the entire U.S. House of Representatives for 35 days without even taking a vote. I mean, she initiated an impeachment of the president of the United States on her own as if she was, I guess, some kind of queen. I don't know. But it, it it's just insane that the hypocrisy is – um it, it, unfathomable um you know and these witnesses that were in the in the hearings yesterday uh, the bias the blatant bias is um I mean, it's, it's not a secret to anyone all of them are are the three that were brought by the democrats anyway or are totally uh you know opposed to the president from the very beginning it's impossible to 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 separate their bias from their comments and i, I just I'm very frustrated. I'm uh, disappointed. And you know, Speaker Pelosi at the beginning of this year had said, "Oh, well, we won't do this on a bipartisan." You know, you, when you take the country down that path, it needs to be a partisan. needs There needs to be proof, real evidence, and and we don't we don't have any proof at all. What what we've got is this Mr. Sondland presuming that the president had, uh, you know, ill intent or, or quid pro quo or whatever. But we know that's not true because even the Ukrainians didn't even know there was a quo. They didn't know the money had been stopped. So it's it's ridiculous. It's a farce. It's a sham. Uh, very frustrating and disappointing.
0: Now, Congressman, you mentioned the three Democratic witnesses, law professors that were there yesterday that were urging uh, the Democrats to move forward with impeachment, one of them having worked in the Obama administration, so clearly right. uh, not individuals who were you know, nonpartisan in, uh, in their approach. Now, the one candidate, uh, the one law professor, I should say, from uh, the Republican side, actually not a conservative um right. Jonathan Turley of George Washington University, who, if I'm not mistaken, I think back when Bill Clinton was in office, as a supporter of Bill Clinton, if I'm not mistaken, but I could be wrong on that, but I, I, he's clearly not, um, a, a card carrying Republican. Uh, right. Probably just. Not
2: even a Trump supporter, actually.
0: Right. And he, he warned. Lawmakers uh, not to rush into impeachment, explaining that a stronger foundation was needed to take such a drastic step. And, and I and caution him to think about the repercussions of this, the unintended consequences uh, in years in years to come. Your thoughts.
2: Absolutely. I, I, well, the best quote from uh, Mr. Turley that I heard was something along the lines of this will be the first impeachment in the history of the United States without compelling evidence of a crime. So we're moving down a pathway because, really, they just don't like the guy's policies. Um, And if you look at the testimony that occurred in the Intelligence Committee from Lieutenant Colonel Vindman and those folks, it's pretty clear that these are bureaucrats who disagreed with the president's policy on how to handle Ukraine and basically ignored it and did their own thing. Um, So it's almost as if these bureaucrats seem to think that the 63 million people who elected this president to determine the Foreign policy of the United States—they're irrelevant. We know better. We're smarter than everybody else, and we're going to proceed this way. Um, I, I just think it's unconscionable. Now,
0: I, I, I recall, because I've been around now for a, a while, when during the Obama years that uh, you know there were those that were at, at some various points in his administration, which was characterized consistently by lawlessness. There were those that were on the right talking about impeachment and never went anywhere because there were concerns about, you know, that 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 has to be taken up. That tool, if you will, of government is kind of in a locked box, put away for, you know, the high crimes and misdemeanors, a very rare occurrence because it would damage our republic. Are you concerned uh, about the long-term ramifications of what we may be seeing, what, what's playing out right now.
2: I, you know, in some sense, I am, but I, I kind of think of our side of the aisle as sort of above this. I, I don't, you know, people have said, "Well, what happens when a, a Democrat president's in office? Now the Republicans can just do uh, disagree with the president and attempt impeachment." And I, but I just think we're I, honestly, I think we're better than that. I don't think we will do that. Uh, so my fear is, um, is not that next time when there's a Democrat in office that we're going to respond in this way. I I, I don't see it. I certainly hope not.
0: Well, and I, I don't uh, I don't want to necessarily disagree with you. I would say that what I see though is a, as a lowering of the standard or a redefining of the terms, and that's my bigger concern. Just like you know the the uh go over to the senate for a moment in changing the rules you know those rules were sacrosanct you didn't touch the rules they they were forever there but then you know we we saw the democrats change them then the republicans once that uh, threshold had been crossed uh, they they changed And not that i'm i'm taking issue with this i'm just using as an example right um but i think that redefining which is what their actions are doing when it comes to high crimes and misdemeanors by moving forward with this, is a redefinition of terms. And I I do think that there is the risk there of uh, using this as a political tool, which is actually what is happening right now.
2: Right. And I, I agree that there's that possibility, that risk exists, but the American people are clearly rejecting what the Democrats are doing right now. Uh, especially in the swing states where it really matters for the future, um, politically at least. Uh, and, and I think if we were to do this, if the Republicans were to do this, the American people would reject it with us as well. So I, I, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm just I, maybe it's wishful thinking on my part, but I, I, I certainly hope we would never stoop to this level.
0: Well, you need to stick around a little bit longer. Uh, I'm a little more, am a little more skeptical. <laughs> are,
2: me, more seasoned than I am. I'm, I'm still a freshman, uh, uh, naive, I guess
0: let's uh, what word are you hearing now in terms of the uh, the, the process uh, as i understand it they hope to vote this out of the house by before you leave for christmas then the uh, senate taking it up most likely uh first of january well, are you hearing anything specific on that
2: i i think that's the timeline that i'm hearing i think we vote for impeachment uh next week uh, i think The committee – between the committee uh, voting on the articles of impeachment and then the House floor, that's going to happen sometime uh, toward the end of next week. We will come back the following week, uh, the week of the 15th, 16th, and we will vote uh, probably, unfortunately, tragically, especially for our military, for a continuing resolution to fund the government. Uh, We'll go on Christmas break, and then the Senate will take up the impeachment, uh, you know, whenever. Leader McConnell feels it's appropriate, but the ball will clearly be in their court in January.
0: Uh, Congressman Green, what what I'm hearing, and uh, I'd be interested in what you're hearing and seeing, but based on my conversations, it appears to me that this process, if you want to call it a process, I use that term loosely, but what the Democrats have engaged in here in the last few weeks has actually solidified the Republican support for the president. I mean, I, I think that they, they they see this for what it is, and uh, they are standing with the president against this uh, sham process to simply avoid 63 million votes and remove this president.
2: If you look at the statistics that just the president has tweeted out recently, it was probably two or three weeks ago he tweeted out 87% support amongst Republicans, and I think it was either yesterday or today he tweeted out 97% support um, or 95% support amongst Republicans. So obviously, even in the numbers that they're looking at, the needle's moved from 87% to 95%. So absolutely, they are solidifying. Uh, Republicans against, you know, for in support of the president and against this uh, insane uh, process.
0: Well, Congressman, as always, great to talk with you. Appreciate you coming on today. And uh, obviously, we'll be watching this into next week as the vote takes place in the House and then is punted over to the Senate. So thanks so much, uh, Congressman Green, for being with us.
2: Thanks, Tony, for having me on the show. And thanks for standing for family values and for our country. Really appreciate you guys. All
0: right. Thanks so much, Congressman. Mark Green of uh, Tennessee, a great American, veteran of the United States Army. All right, uh, when we come back, there is uh, strong evidence that suggests that the United Nations Relief Agency is denying help to Syrian Christians. We're going to talk about that when we come back with uh, a man who is involved in this directly. Paul Diamond, a leading human rights attorney in the United Kingdom, is going to be joining us. He's filed a lawsuit on behalf of Lord George Carey, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, uh, to ensure that these Christian refugees get the help they need. We're going to be talking with him when we return. A lot more Washington Watch to come. Don't go away. We're back right after this.
1: Abortion is one of the most combative and sensitive moral and political questions in America today, even among Christians. There has been a renewed effort in theological liberal Christian circles to argue that the Bible does not oppose abortion. In light of these arguments, it is crucial for Christians to know what the Bible actually says about abortion. Does the Bible teach that life begins at conception or birth? Is abortion murder? In FRC's new publication titled, Biblical Principles for Pro-Life Engagement, personhood scripture and church history author david clausen addresses these questions with relevant passages in the bible that inform how a christian should think about abortion the question of personhood and a survey of how prominent church leaders have interpreted these passages throughout history learn more by visiting frc.org unborn that's frc.org unborn Meadow Pollock was a high school senior who was tragically gunned down during the Parkland school shooting in Florida. In an emotional and gripping FRC Speaker Series event, her father, Andrew Pollock and education expert Max Eden discussed the tragic massacre and the politically correct policies that allowed the Parkland shooting to happen. The Southern Poverty Law Center and the Obama administration promoted a false narrative that teachers and principals were racist and couldn't be trusted to enforce rules with consequences. Instead, they argued for healing circles and restorative justice. These policies enabled a psychopathic criminal to maintain a clean background and purchase a firearm used to murder 17 people at the high school. The Obama administration forced these leniency policies into hundreds of schools, serving millions of students across America. To listen to this event and to learn more, visit frc.org slash speakers. That's frc.org slash speakers.
2: Religious liberty is one of the most...
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Christian Syrian refugees have told CBN News that they have been blocked from getting help from the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees by Muslim UN officials in Jordan. Now, I've been to uh, some of these refugee camps in Jordan, and they're massive. And these are individuals who have been there for a long time, dependent. Uh, totally upon the aid that flows through the United Nations uh, because of the uh, really the desperate situation that they left in Syria. That obviously has not gotten better. Joining me now from uh, Cambridge, England, with his analysis is Paul Diamond. He's a leading human rights attorney in the United Kingdom and has filed suit on behalf of these refugees. Paul, welcome to Washington Watch.
3: Thank you very much.
0: I uh, appreciate you uh, joining us I I know it's late over there so thanks for staying up and, and joining us but you were, were you surprised to learn that Christian Syrian refugees were being denied help from the United Nations high commissioner uh, because of a Muslim UN official and uh, officials in Jordan
3: well um I'm not, and I don't think you are probably either having visited there, but the case has been brought um a case has been brought in the United Kingdom by Lord Carey, our former Archbishop of canterbury, and the case that he wants to expose is the scandalous abandonment of the Christian communities in the Middle East by, in fact, both of our governments under the president, previous administration, President Obama, and the current British government at the moment. Um, both of our countries introduced Syrian refugee resettlement schemes, and the United States agreed to accept 40,000 refugees. A, and I think the figure is something like 39,800 are Sunni Muslims. So, only a mere 200 of the refugees accepted into the United States were from either Christian or Yazidi or those groups. Correct. And the United Kingdom agreed to accept 20,000, and our figures are fairly similar. So, Lord Carey, the Archbishop, is queering. How come, if we're resettling so many people, and we're offering our governments are offering the hand of protecting the most vulnerable? How come it's the most vulnerable communities, the Christian and the Yazidis, who have faced genocide, are not being accepted? There is something wrong, and that it stops with our governments and it stops with the United Nations, and that's what the case is about. It's a terrible. Um, abandonment of the Christian communities, which I'm sure you know about, Tony, because of your very prominent role on the, on, on the International Religious Liberty Commission in the United States. Um, so um, that's what the case is trying to do, and and it's 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 a great irony that you know. Um, Congress has has passed resolutions on genocides against Christians and religious minorities. The previous sexy of state, John Kerry, in 2016, he recognized um, uh, genocide was taking effect. Our Parliament, the House of Commons, did the same. Uh, Lord Kerry noticed they said there was genocide in the House of Commons with horrific examples of not just mass slaughters but parents forced to watch their children being eaten and stories of this nature, We'd, so he said, we've agreed to accept these vulnerable communities in, but it's, in the United States, I believe it's 99.7% Sunni Muslim, and in the United Kingdom, it's between 99 and 99.3% Sunni Muslim, and that there is something seriously wrong. And so that's what this case is about and bringing a case in the United Kingdom is very, very precarious because we've got cost rules here and Lord Carey is very upset because the government has said a former Archbishop of Canterbury has no interest in protection of the international Christian community and the government said because we've got cost rules in the United Kingdom we are prepared to take costs against the Archbishop of Canterbury and bankrupt him if he stands up for Christian freedoms. So... um, the situation is very grim in both of our countries. The Americans are too late, but we have an opportunity in Britain not just to get some Christian families in who need protection, and that's what we need to be focusing on, right. but also to explain where, how can our administration, how can your State Department, how can our, our Home Office Department, which runs it in Britain, see these figures week after week Day after day, and not question them, and not question the UN, and not say, hang on a minute, why are there no Christians? Why are there no people being genocided on these lists? How come it's all Sunni Muslim? And if anybody inquires, they fob them off. So um, we're seeking support. Go on. Well,
0: we've seen a little change here in the United States where the numbers shifted, where there was a a, a better balance of, of the of the at risk communities. So we saw more Christians come in in the first year of the Trump administration. But the challenge we have now, which we've communicated to the administration, is they've cut way back on the number of refugees they're allowing into the country. So we're advocating that these vulnerable communities who, as you've pointed out, in some cases are in grave danger, especially those in the Muslim community who have converted to Christianity, they need a safe place. And, and we need to be willing, our countries need to be willing to allow them uh, to come as refugees.
3: Well, I mean, we, we, we've are care carriers down the position of the British government Incredible, almost denying there's any discrimination against Christians and denying there's any discrimination against Muslim apostates, which is illegal in most um, Arab Muslim states. And one of the, uh, he has to be anonymous because he will be killed. Right. One of, Lord Carey is bringing this case jointly with an anonymous uh, Muslim gentleman who's converted to Christianity. And he lives in such fear of any moment being killed or his children taken away by the Jordanian authorities. He went to a U.N. office seeking help. And that was a gentleman blocked on entry. He was mocked and he was um, prevented entry into into. um, Are you still hearing me, Tony?
0: I, I am. But we're up against we're up against a break. Um we're going to have to have to leave it there, but I, I want to continue uh, at some point, maybe next week. This conversation because this is an extremely important issue, and I appreciate the work that you're uh, you're doing on this, Paul. So we have to leave it there for today, but we're going to circle back around so we can have a longer conversation on this.
3: Uh, we'd love that. Thank Thanks so much, easy.
0: and thank you for the work that you do. Pleasure. All right, folks, don't go away. Scott Rasmussen joins me next. Are we a divided country? How divided? That's next. back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you happen to be on Twitter and want to keep up with uh, me and activities here in D.C., it's at T. Perkins. All right, according to the inaugural public agenda USA Today, I suppose poll, Americans are united on this. They are sick and tired of being so divided. The divisive natural, national debate uh, over just about everything has convinced many that the country is heading in the wrong direction, even as their own lives are going well. I mean, even though we've got a great economy, we got all these good things happening, uh, people think the country is headed in the wrong direction because of the just the, the political and cultural division. By overwhelming margins, those surveyed said national leaders, social media, and the news media have exacerbated and exaggerated those divisions, sometimes for their own benefit and to the detriment of ordinary people. Um, We're going to talk about this. I'm waiting on uh, Scott Rasmussen who's going to be joining us. He's one of the world's uh, best public opinion pollsters, and he's the author of The Sun is Still Rising, Politics Has Failed But America will not, Um, this is concerning. And I think there is some intentional effort about it. I'm going to ask God if if, uh, he's able to join us. Um, I I say it's intentional because what's happening, and, and you might attest to this, you may feel it, you may say, that's me. The divisive nature of this makes you just want to step back and not be involved. But we can't do that. Because that actually only leads to kind of a a, a point of greater division. Because if your voice, my voice, if it's missing, the country is going to continue on a particular track. We're not going to reach consensus, even though consensus is hard to reach these days. It's never reached when certain voices are absent or silent. And that's one of the reasons I think it's so critical that we allow everyone to have a voice in the process. I am for for those that are 180 degrees removed from me, I will fight for their right to speak, to have a platform that to to speak publicly. I will not seek to silence them. Unlike what they're doing to many conservatives. They want to silence conservatives because quite frankly their uh, their their de- their views, their policies, their ideas simply will not hold up to scrutiny. uh, But I think we ought to have those debates. In fact, uh, flying up here uh, Monday, I was uh, on the plane with uh, several um, elected officials, former elected officials as well, friends that I had served with. In fact, one, um, you wouldn't mind me mentioning his name because we served together in the legislature. He was the uh, the mayor of uh, New Orleans, Mitch Landrieu. Uh, His sister was in the Senate. Um, In fact, I ran against his sister, Mary, uh, but they were friends, Uh, still friends today. i talked to him. In fact, Mitch and I had a conversation after we got off the plane about I I, I joked with him. I asked him if he was coming up to uh, the the White House Christmas party. Um, And that was a joke because it's kind of partisan. I didn't go near the White House during the eight years of Obama. And most Democrats don't go near uh, the White House these days uh, with Trump being president. It wasn't that way when we were in office together, uh, and we were discussing that and how we could have different ideas, we could see things differently, we could go down and argue for our viewpoints, but then we would go out and have lunch. Um, We'd go to crawfish boil because it wasn't personal, and we didn't demonize, and we didn't attack one another. We respected one another. And civility is extremely important. I think that's the bigger issue is that we're losing civility. But according to the USA Today and this poll that was conducted, 83 percent of Americans say divisiveness and gridlock in politics are a big problem. And the concern is that many will back out from their participation in government because of the the conflict. And that's what I want to talk about. In uh, I'm going to move on. Uh, if Scott calls in, we'll, we'll take him in a little bit later. But I, I want to move on to this discussion. Um, about how should we handle this as Christians? This divisive nature, because I, I would say the vast majority of us as Christians actually do not like conflict. Uh, we 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 see it as is bad, and, and we want to get along. And that's one of the biggest challenges I have being in politics in the political realm for the last twenty-five years. It's the thing that I least like is the conflict. But I have a stronger allegiance to the truth. Then I have a fear of the conflict, and it's just—it's uh, a tension. It's a, it's a natural tension that's within us. That we don't want the conflict, but we can't—we can't stand to see truth trampled underfoot in the culture. And so, what do we do, as Christians? How do we handle that? And and I want to talk about that with uh, Jared Bridges. He's a member of our senior team, vice president of branding here at the Family Research Council, graduate of uh, Southern. Uh, seminary in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And, uh, Jared, welcome back to Washington Watch.
4: Thanks, Tony. Good to be here watching Washington.
0: Uh, well, yeah, watching Washington. Uh, we're going to be up here. It'll, well, there it is. My timing was perfect. I introduced him, and we're now at a break. So, Jared, great having you on the program. <laughs> Don't go anywhere, Jared. Don't All you right. go anywhere either, folks. We're going to come back and have this conversation about, as Christians, how should we approach this cultural political divide that is a reality in America today what are we to do ignore it move away from it hide from it or should we enter into it what's the foundation upon which we should stand what does the scripture have to say about that that's what we're going to talk about next here on Washington Watch don't go away News, we can get it from many sources, but what can you trust these days? Where can you get news that doesn't make you as suspicious as you are informed? If you're looking for something better, for honest coverage of the latest news, one trusted news source I look to is the Washington Times. When preparing for the radio program and selecting guests to join me on the show, I will often read the Washington Times and have their reporters join me here on the program because I trust how they cover the news. Join me and more than 7 million readers who turn to The Washington Times every month to get real, trusted news. For a limited time only, listeners of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins will receive a special annual rate of sixty nine ninety five for the first year. Subscribe to The Washington Times and get this special offer by using my name and visiting WashingtonTimes.com slash Tony Perkins. That's WashingtonTimes.com slash Tony Perkins.
5: radical abortion laws in New York, Illinois, and Vermont are challenging the sanctity of life. These laws have lifted the few existing restrictions on abortion in the name of family planning and mental health of pregnant mothers. Americans need to take a stand and defend the rights of the unborn. Family Research Council is sending Congress 90,000 baby hats as a reminder that babies should be welcomed with love and warmth, not potential danger. Supporters have already funded over 45,000 hats. We are over halfway there. Join Americans across the nation and donate $9 to send a powerful reminder that young lives need to be cherished. When you take action, we'll send you an End Birthday Abortion Certificate that will remind you to pray for born-alive babies who are facing the danger of being killed outside the womb. Visit EndBirthdayAbortion.com for more information. That's EndBirthdayAbortion.com.
0: Hello, this is Tony Perkins, president of the Family Research Council. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website is TonyPerkins.com. All right. uh, In in the face of a dramatic new sense of uh, divisiveness, Christians might shrink back from voting altogether. I mean, we're we're hearing it. We're seeing it. People say, you know what? I'm just tired of all this. Now, that, in my view, would be a grave mistake. In fact, I think it would be an error of biblical proportions. Quite frankly, uh, we have a moral and a biblical obligation to participate in politics. Uh, no, we don't. Yes, we do. Uh, in fact, we've got resources on our website that, uh, can, can walk you through that. And uh, you can go to tonyperkins.com under episode resources. You can look at some of the uh, biblical worldview issues that we have. The one is, uh, biblical principles for political engagement, worldview issues, and voting. And it's based on Scripture. And I think that's where we have to start as Christians, and that's where we end. I mean, that is our process. We look through the lenses of Scripture. Now, I want to go back to this poll for just a minute before I bring Jared back in. One, only one in ten of Americans in this poll that was in USA Today said the problem was that Americans had too many fundamental disagreements in conflicting values. The bigger problem, according to more than 4 in 10, was that people didn't know how to talk about conflicts in a constructive way. Wow. Republicans estimated that 52% of Democrats were unapproachable. And Democrats said the same about 65% of Republicans. Sounds like we need to do some talking. Jared,
4: let's talk. Yeah, we... Um, it's good good to know that um, we're not alone here, and God has not just left Christians stranded here in the 21st century with nothing to guide us. Um, all we have to do is look back, and this, uh, you know, Ecclesiastes 1 says what has been is what will be, and mm-hmm. what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. And um, you look at political division or just conflict between, um, intense conflict between people, it goes all the way back to the garden. Um, We have um, the, you know, even the nation of Israel was divided at a time. Um, Here in America, we've been, we've had a revolutionary war. We've had a civil war. um, We've had all kinds of um, intense political division. So we, we have been here before, and um, thinking about uh, you know, Jeremiah, who was uh, someone who was speaking out in the midst of, of division as a prophet, um, he says, uh, "...thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls." Um, and so we have to look back at Scripture to guide us right now right. And, and where where we are. And,
0: and, and that's a really good point to make is that when we look at the Scripture, it's, it's like setting our compass to true north. Mm-hmm. Because what what happens is that we get these i would say modern interpretations but they're really not modern they're just misinterpretations paul talked about it in the new testament is his people with false doctrine mm-hmm. and and one of those that we hear today is that oh, christians shouldn't be a part of any kind of conflict you know christian as a, as a christian you should be like jesus and it's it's about love it's about unity And it is about that. But it's also about, you know, Jesus said that uh, I came to send fire on earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized, baptized with and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. And he goes on to talk about how a father would be divided against a son, a son against a father, mother against a daughter, and daughter against a mother, mother mother-in-law against a daughter-in-law, and on and on it
4: goes. There is division and friction that comes with truth. Right. And I think some of the mistakes we often make as Christians is that we see, oh, if I speak out on this or if I take this stand, then I'm going to be creating conflict or I'm going to be creating division. Well, the truth is division is already there if you're following Jesus. Right.
0: And you are not
4: the one bringing the division.
0: I think that's extremely important to to draw a distinction by. For instance, uh, I like to make this point. People say, well, you know, that's your opinion. No, it's not my opinion. I quite frankly I don't have an opinion. It's the word of God. And, you know, when a good example of that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the father but by me. That's not my opinion. That's what Jesus said. And therefore, if I'm going to follow him, I I have to believe what he says and, and live by it. The same is true with the whether we're talking about the sanctity of life, we're talking about human sexuality, we're talking about marriage. Talking about raising your children, who has the authority to raise your children, so on and so forth. The Scripture speaks to that, and when you interject that into a culture that has rejected
4: transcendent truth, it's going to create friction and conflict. Yeah, and where we fail to make a stand, all that's doing is is, is not taking away the division. It's just exp- um, it's it's allowing it to remain, and and we 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 are we need to when we when we do take a stand we are exposing the differences um, between truth and, and the lie um, we have you know for, first peter is some is a is a book that that comes to mind when you know it's Peter wrote this to a group of Christians who were being persecuted and and one thing he says um, in First in Peter 2, uh, 11 and 12, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So he's he's encouraging them, you know, in being oppressed. um to keep doing good and keep glorifying god it 's not to to cave but to keep doing good Define doing good yeah it 's um, it's, it's being obedient being obedient to scripture that
0: 's doing good now there is a there is another part of this uh, and, and I talked a little bit about this yesterday when we were talking about the pronoun the debate that's that raging is raging uh Reading in in Proverbs this week about truth and mercy, it's truth and mercy. It's not truth or mercy. It's not uh, truth and possibly mercy. It's truth and mercy.
4: Yeah.
0: Um, and, and and we're told in Proverbs, the book of wisdom, to bind it around your neck and inscribe it upon the tablets of your heart. It goes back to the first point you made. That what we're experiencing today, this moral relativism, is not new. In Judges, right. we read that every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so that was the reason they were told to bind this truth and mercy around your neck, inscribe it upon the tablets of your heart, because it is not always in vogue. It is not always uh, accepted in the culture. But the mercy part is just as important as the truth part. And I like to define it this way. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, in, 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 as I see that, is speaking it out of a redemptive heart. The reason we speak truth is not to win a debate, not to condemn someone, but rather out of a desire to see that person set free by that truth, which Jesus said, the truth
4: shall make you free. That's the reason we speak the truth. Yeah, and 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 what what we really don't need to be doing as Christians is just disengaging from people because they're you know they are not going to treat us the right way all the time, and we can't reflect the world and how we treat them. Right? We we have got to come back to them with love, you know, because there's going to be a time when when they need help, when your neighbor needs help, when when their car breaks down or, or or whatever happens. That that we can be um, there for them no matter how they treated
0: us, and, and uh, we got to define these terms now these days. Love, love is accepting but not affirming. Yeah, and you know when when they've conflated this in our culture today, where love, if 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 you love like Jesus love, you would affirm someone in the choices they made. That that is absolutely false. Thank God that Jesus didn't come to this earth to affirm us in our sin, but rather he loved us enough that he died for us on the cross that those who believe in him and confess him as Savior and Lord will be saved. That is love. Love is sacrificial. It is helping out your neighbor. It is, at times, willing to be rejected, yeah. willing to be Ostracized by speaking truth for the eternal benefit of the one you're speaking to.
4: Right, because because love speaks to people, right. and 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 it may not be the immediate, it may not have an immediate effect. It may be years down the road when they when they see when they've come to the end of the rope and see, okay, where where do I go? And and they remember, you know, someone who who stood for truth, and when when everything else. Um, um, was going away from them, so so our our actions in love and in love being doing the right thing for people and, and is um, c- can have a a long term effect, not just the um, instant gratification that we want
0: right I mean we all want to be accepted, we want people to say nice things about us, and that's that 's important but we don't sacrifice the truth. In order to, to to get that to to meet our own needs, to me, I see that as selfish.
4: Yeah, it is, and 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 it's it's just wanting to preserve our um, immediate needs of of having people like us or people um, accept us in in a certain a certain way. But if if we're living with integrity, um, you know, we're you know, if we're not living with integrity, we're we're living. Just as the world is living right and, and,
0: and as our chief branding officer, one of the things that you 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 do is is we talk about issues that are you know they're in the middle of conflict mm-hmm. we use uh, very specific word choices mm-hmm. so as not to inflame, right. so as not to be seen as attacking people. We don't yell truth. We don't scream truth. We speak truth. Right. And we do so in a way that uh, is, is not intended to inflame
4: or to hurt. Uh, but we have to speak that truth. Right. You, you can't compromise the truth um, for just uh, to speak it in a way I mean, I mean, you don't go out of your way to to anger people. I mean, just like you know, Paul in Ephesians talks about, you know, fathers don't exasperate your children. Um, you know, you're not you're not going to go out of your way to to anger someone. Uh, but we need to 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 speak the truth in love and and with kindness and respect to people. Um, but we 're speaking the truth That's, that doesn 't go away, but
0: to uh, as we kind of come our time comes to a close here the the big concern and I see this in the polling data i see uh, I hear it anecdotally as I travel the country that and, and I see it. I mean, again, I see it. Twenty-five years I've been involved in the political process and and we are a divided nation. We yeah. are ideologically, politically, culturally divided. We see it I mean, we even see it in the in the television, in the programming that people watch. Conservatives watch one channel, liberals watch another. There's no even there's no place where we even meet. Going back to this poll that over half of both Democrats and Republicans feel like those on the other side of the aisle won't talk to them. They're not approachable. I think it's important we have conversations. In fact, even seek out those who may have a a difference of opinion. I've been doing that with someone who is 180 degrees removed from me, but we have a a remarkable um, friendship that's developed. We don't always talk. We do touch on these issues occasionally, um, but I listen respectfully, uh, and they listen respectfully of me. But we're having a conversation and. My bigger goal, quite frankly, is to show the love of Christ, but I show that love not by abandoning the truth, but by presenting it in a way that I, I do it because I, I, I care for the eternal
4: destiny right. of this person. Right. I mean, a, a man asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And, and Jesus responded with uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan or, or the story of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. and. And you know, and the Samaritan being someone who um, was not considered generally a neighbor in, right. in, in that culture, in and that, someone to you avoid. Audience, yeah, to to his audience, but but Jesus was pointing pointing them toward their neighbor.
0: Well, we're coming up on a uh, uh, not only into the program, but we're coming up uh, at a time when a lot of families are going to be getting together, and I've, I've seen this, heard this, people, you know. Family uh, dinners, Christmas time, these events, and different political viewpoints uh, in, in the family, and how should they be approaching this?
4: I mean, I, I, I don't think you go in guns blaring, leading with the political. I mean, yeah, maybe
0: leave the you know the the, 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 the T-shirts with yeah. you know with the
4: slogans at home. Right. But, I mean, the first thing we need to be doing is 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 loving yeah. um, our our family members, our, our neighbors. You know, you play ball with them. You do – you eat with – you dine with them. You talk to them. Ask what's going on in their lives.
0: You yeah, see, this is – for me, this is one of the perfect times of the year where you can get, to get together with family, even family that politically, culturally, maybe morally uh, totally mm-hmm. uh, opposite – but you know, and, and I don't bring up those conversations. But I do make sure that we we we, we pray, you know, at these events. I uh, ask, you know, can we do that? Uh, we have conversations about this the time of year about Christmas. It it's a wonderful time to interject right. Jesus into the conversation, and and just have conversations. Uh, yeah. and,
4: and if those issues come up, you don't have to avoid right, those right. issues. You don't want to avoid uh, avoid it. Just. But go for because you care about the person. Speak the truth in love. Jerry Bridges, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having
0: me. Folks, thank you for joining us as well. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words from the Apostle Paul, found in Ephesians 6, where he says when you've done everything you could do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is powered by the Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234.